0: Good morning church. Our Bible reading today is taken from Luke eight twenty two to twenty five. At the end of the reading I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. Luke eight twenty two to twenty five. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Ibu Kung, for that amazing reading. If you're watching with us for the first time, hi, well, if you're not, still hi. My name is Tommy Olarawaju. I am a resident with City Church Lagos under Renew Academy. Now, what that means for me is I wake up most of the time on an ideal morning, 6 a.m., right? I do my quiet time, I pray. By 9 a.m. I'm seated by my table. I am reading. All right. Most likely by 12, I do some Netflix. I sleep, wake up, eat, read, sleep. Eat read sleep, and the next day I press repeat. But what me being a resident means for you is you might have to suffer through a really really bad sermon once in a while. Hopefully, the first and last this year. So join me in prayers. But again, the good news is this that God is able to take really, really bad sermon preparations, really, really bad sermon deliveries, really, really bad sermons generally, and use it to bless. Is people so I don't know what you've gone through last year I don't know what you've gone through last week I don't even know the phone calls you received this morning I'm here to say welcome to not just City Church welcome to meet God here welcome to meeting God here today welcome to meeting Christ the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 that we have come to Mount Zion then goes for that to say we have come to Jesus the mediator of a better covenant and again I want to say welcome to meeting Christ here today it's my desire and hope to present christ to you and you see him as truly good truly beautiful truly true right and knowing fully well that i cannot do this except the spirit of god brings life upon my words i want you to join me join me as we pray together our father and our god we are all here again we ask that you bless us let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight unto sanctification Holiness to bring forth fruits of righteousness to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So I grew up in Lauren. All right. And back home we used to have a very, very vibrant children's Sunday school ministry. I don't know if you remember how Sunday school used to be like. Sunday school was known for two things, right? One, discipline two songs i don't know for the, especially for the boys maybe when you were growing up do you remember when daddy used to take us to the barber's place and then we would have to bar skin right then as we grow a little bit older right we demand emphasis on demand because they will not give it to you we demand for low cuts then as we grow older again i want to unleash the base when we are going to the barber shop ourselves what do we ask for we ask for punk right so i was still in my skin phase i was around five or six I was in Sunday school and this pretty girl was talking to me. She was talking for a very long time, just kept on talking. I didn't respond. The minute I decided to respond, the teacher catches us and she takes the cane, whips my head with it. Right, I was on skin, whips my head with it. Then goes, goes ahead to actually report me to my mom. All right. Again, discipline was a big deal when we we're in children's Sunday school. But another thing that was a big deal for us were songs. I don't know if you remember the songs we used to sing back in the days, like Father Abraham, Had many sons, many sons as Father Abraham, I'm one of them, and so are you, so let us praise the Lord, or maybe you remember this song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, they are yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight, Jesus loves the children of the world, but there is this other song that is really relating to the text that is before us, I don't know if you remember it, or maybe if you, in case you know it, right, it says, uh, with Jesus in the boat, I can... Then we do our hands like this smile at the storm smile at the storm with jesus in the boat i can smile at the storm as we go sailing and i remember as i was just studying this text this song kept on coming to my mind and i just began to feel like man we have to have been kids for them to be able to sell this song to us why i have two problems with this song now the text before us the text that actually got the song from one and secondly just life in the text the disciples were not smiling at any storm, right? And how many of us really, now that life has hit us, how many of us really smile at storms? But again, it's from a very, very popular text of the Bible. You know, you can sell it to kids, there's really no problem. So the text before us is actually Luke chapter 8. I'm going to try and describe the context of what is going on to us. In the book of Luke chapter 4, Jesus just started his ministry, you see, he was. Bible said he went to the synagogue, took this scroll in Isaiah sixty-one like a boss, reads and says this prophecy, the prophecy in Isaiah sixty-one has been fulfilled before you today. The people around him didn't like it; they wanted to push him across the cliff. Right? Bible said he just walked out among them. Jesus has started this awesome ministry, and he has called his disciples in about in Luke chapter at the end of by the end of Luke chapter four, disciples were what we call the sweet spot of ministry. The rabbi, their rabbi, Jesus was ruining every debate with every other Pharisee. Jesus was healing the sick, raising the dead. He had a very, very good following. In fact, there was one time, but it's the story of the widow of Nain. She was a widow that I means she, she had lost, she had lost her husband, but then she had also lost her son. And now they were about to bury the son. The old time was money we have. Jesus sees them, walks to the casket, touches the coffin, and the Bible said the little boy, Sat up again, the disciples, right? At this point, as what you call the sweet spot of ministry, I can imagine Peter probably taking his phone, taking a selfie with Jesus and the boy that just got raised and just captioning it on WhatsApp status and say, Can your rabbi ever, ever, right? Again, and that's not all. By the time we get to Luke chapter eight, right? The, 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 the family members of Jesus, his mother and his brothers had come. Him and they wanted to see him. Bible said the crowd were around him and they couldn't reach him. And then Jesus says, "Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Those that do the will of my father in heaven." Again, imagine what's going on through the mind of the disciples. I mean, we have left all to follow him. We are in the perfect will of God. Then this great rabbi, this great prophet, has been performing miracles all about. Looks at us that are doing the will and that doing the will of God and says. And says and calls them blood. I have this younger friend who looks at me and calls me blood. Don't worry, it's not a cultist. I was not a cultist, was never a cultist. But he's basically trying to describe this intimacy that exists between us. Jesus just looked at the disciples and called them blood. Again, I can imagine Peter taking his phone if he was in the 21st century, taking a selfie with Jesus, uploading it on Instagram, and probably writing, chilling with the most high word gang, all right? Again, this most high gang in chap- Luke chapter 8, verse 22, now says to them, let us go to the other side. Right? We say, Jesus fell asleep and a great storm hit. And this is a great time to introduce the, the title of my sermon. The title of my sermon is When Storms Rise. And we'll be examining this under three headings: The reality of our storms, the reaction to our storms, and the Lord of our storms. So first, the reality of our storms. Again, the text opens. Jesus says, let us go to the other side. just falls asleep, a storm eats, and one thing that immediately jumps out at us is this. We can be in the perfect will of God and still experience storms. Being in the will of God does not translate to the absence of storms. In fact, let me push it a little bit further. Being in the will of God does not mean that you, you will not have storms in your heart. You could be in the will of God and experience the storms of fear. The storms of anxieties, the storms of doubt. I want you to notice three things. The storm, one, the storm didn't come because they had sinned. As I said before, they were and are in the perfect will of God. They had done nothing wrong. They were talking right, acting right, thinking right. Everything should have been going fine for them. But again, the storm It. Secondly, the storm was out of their control. And thirdly, this storm threatened their lives check verse 24 the bible said so they went to wake him and they said master master we will drown not we might drown not wake up so we will not drown there was a finality to the things that there was a finality to their to, to what they were saying about this storm this storm threatened them i don't know if you have experienced this kind of storms before i'm not talking about those storms that when they hit you you immediately know who you want to call i'm talking about those storms that when you actually tell somebody about those storms the first thing they say is oh because they know there is nothing they can do about the problem. Or maybe the kind of storms that people tell you about, and you don't want them to call again, not because you don't like them, because those kind of storms also render you helpless. You know there is nothing you can do about it. Last day was very, very Terrible for me, right? I Maybe mean, terrible for most of us. There were certain storms that I was the one that walked into them because of my stupidity. I brought those storms upon myself. But there are other storms that life just threw at me. And I remember those kind of storms. They tend to remind you of, you know, we all act as We are very, very progressive. But those kind of storms remind you of the African roots. I remember one of, one of those storms. I called the man of my friend in City Church, and I said, "Imano, I think they, I think they are following me. Honestly, and you might actually be laughing at this point, but honestly, I really felt." that they were fooling me. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because towards the end of last year, a friend of mine calls me, and she begins to describe kind of storm that she went through during the year. And I still went, oh, are you the only one? Right? I mean, it was huge. Storms are real. Storms threaten our lives. Let me just read this tweet that a friend of mine just congrats for me one time. Um, it's by this guy, Eddie T. F. Young. On the, on the 14th of December, he writes, my dearest friend walked with me to get married. I walked with him a few years later. He walked and we grew together. 18 years. On Friday, he comforted us. On Saturday, he lost his wife and children. Everything that meant anything. Please keep the ones you love in prayers. How's 14th of December? By 16th of December, he writes again, my dear friend, or always prayed those who trust in the lord shall not be ashamed for 18 years i heard him pray this prayer he trusted the lord on his day of adversity but he sat but he sat today, shame beyond belief broken beyond recognition how 16. on 16 again it, it tweets i once thought we needed to be good to be kind to love our neighbors in hope for redemption some grace and kind safekeeping I have little faith left in these things today. And the creator and our father in heaven has not made it easy to trust them any longer. See, just hold on a little bit. On 16th, the it tweets again? Please do not preach to me. I understand. I trust, I trusted God without question. Even on the day I put my child in the ground, I never asked questions. If God needs, and this is where I want you to pay attention to. If God needs to wreck a man just to prove a point, that's plain wickedness, and I'm not here for that. Have you experienced this kind of storms, these storms that threaten us and shake our faith? And that's not all. Check what happened to this guy on the 21st of December. Totally on brand, I don't really know what that means, that I caught my own COVID now. I see that is not enough. I if that is not enough. It still gets... COVID-19, have you experienced kind of storm? In fact, I don't know, maybe your last year was not as bad as this guy's. on. Maybe it was even worse, right? But the reality is there are certain storms that we cannot do anything other than just shake our head. These faith-shaking storms. And But this leads to one point. I want you to understand something. The Bible right, recognized their storms. See, the Bible is not one of those sources that just believe that. You see, it is something like, oh, your problem is not your problem. Your problem is your reaction to the problem. I remember one time sometimes i was watching a buddhist video and the guy was saying something like um you see my problem i i can see my problem but it really doesn't matter it's my reaction that matters and i was like i mean you're up there in the himalayas nothing is wrong with you there's no problem there calm down let 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 this world show you pepper right i mean we, we, we. The, the Bible sees our pain. The Bible is not one of those Buddhist people that just believe, oh, you know, it doesn't matter just how you react. No, the Bible recognizes our pain. What kind of storms that you begin to have and you begin to feel like, am I the only one? Give me a break. Maybe you are here. You can't even remember the last time that you were happy. The Bible is saying storms are real. They threaten us. Storms are not just some toothless barking dog. No. They threaten our lives. And this leads To my second point the reaction to our storms and there are three basic reactions we normally have to our storms one we panic two we deny three we settle one we panic two we deny three we settle i'm just going to try and go through this one after the other panicking you see when we panic we have accepted the problem we have accepted that there is actually a storm that we do not have control over. We have accepted that there is fire on the mountain. And the normal reaction we usually have when we've accepted the problem is what? Fear. But you see, the Bible has much more to say about our fear. See, Fear is not just the posture of a faithless person. Fear is the posture of somebody who has put his faith in something before and that thing disappointed him. Is it possible that you only started to panic after the thing that has promised to Johnny mercies into 2020 or 2021 has actually disappointed you? You see, the disciples were like this as well. Check verse 23. The Bible says, And they sailed. He fell asleep. Nobody woke him up. Nobody cared. Why? They were feeling, see, my professionalism can get me to the other side. Maybe some of you are here, you're even saying, well, you know what? My expertise can get me to the other side. But guess what? In the story, the storm hits and in fear, not in faith, in fear, they run to meet Jesus and they say, we will drown. Jesus gets up, says, shh, to the storm and the storm calms. Then the Bible responds, in fear and amazement. And you go, what? In fear and amazement. You probably expect what they were going to do was going to be, I knew you could do it, Jesus. You are the man, you are the boss. I knew you could pull it up. No, in fear and amazement. Why they were not coming to Jesus in faith in the first place, they were not coming to Jesus expecting that I was going to be able to do anything about their storm to just start report support. They wanted to inform him. About the problem. And many of us, when we panic, we are like this. We are not coming to Jesus because we feel he can calm our storms. We are coming to him because, you know, it's just the next available option. I want to tell him about it. So when we panic, we end up accepting the problem, accepting the storm, just the way the Bible does. But we end up rejecting the God who is able to calm the storm on our behalf. And to you who panic today, Jesus is saying, where is your faith? The next set of people I'm going to be describing are those who deny when we deny. So, you see, when we panic, we have accepted the problem. But when we deny, we reject the problem. And many times, this looks very, very stoic. But it's actually a subtle form of faithlessness or better still, misplaced faith. We say, there is nothing I can do about it. You know what? If I just give it and the problem will go away, let me just roll over. And sleep but you see you're not sleeping for the same reason I just was sleeping in the boat while Jesus was sleeping because he had put his faith in a, comf- in, in, a, in a powerful God who is able to keep him in the midst of the storm we are sleeping because we feel the problem will go if we kick it further down the road so while Jesus had his faith in God who could protect him you have your own faith in time feeling as if over time this problem will cease. To exist. So when we deny, again, we reject the problem, but we also reject the God who is able to calm the storm on our behalf. And to you who deny, Jesus is saying today, where is your faith? I mean, we are not the type that panic. We are not the type that deny. Maybe are the type that settles. You see, the one that has, again the ones that's panic has accepted the problem. The one that denies rejects the problem. But the one that settles is more subtle with the way he does his things. You reject the problem by actually accepting it. Let me explain it to you. so the settler can see the problem. The one who settles can see the problem. They have accepted it, but then they believe what will be will be. They simply give up. They believe they, they believe in this idea of fatalism. And in case you don't know, let me just define what fatalism is. Fatalism is the doctrine that all events are subject to faith or inevitable necessity or determined in advance in such a way that human beings cannot change them. So they also roll over and sleep and give up. Maybe you are here, you've also experienced kind of storms that have made you to give up, or maybe you're even spiritual about it. You engage in what I call spiritualized fatalism. It's basically the same thing as the first one, but you just slap the stamp of spirituality upon it. You say you been say stuff like, oh, you see, God is sovereign over all, and let me just accept the problem. But instead of them praying or taking action about it, we simply accept this, roll over, and sleep. But this looks like faith in God, but no, it isn't. It might be, it's not faith in the God of the Bible, because while the God of the Bible is sovereign, He is also caring and loving, and actually does something about our storm. So, for the one who settles, we begin to put our, we are putting our faith not in the full revelation of who God is, but in a God that we have made up that doesn't care about our problems. And to you who settle, Jesus is still saying today, Where is your faith? I want us to examine this question that Jesus has been asking over and that Jesus asked his disciples and, he has been, and he's asking us today, Where is your faith? I want us to examine it under two aspects. Where is your purifying to the object of your faith? Where is the location of your faith? What have you put your faith in? And to the existence of our faith. Is your faith even existing? Is your faith even present at all? So the first one, the object of our faith. So the question we should ask at this point is this. Why shouldn't the next storm swallow you? Why should you be spared from drowning, why should 2021 be a good year? Is it because you have planned well? Is it because you have the right connection? Is it because you're able to save enough Last year, you see, what, what exactly is it that when you think about it gives you confidence as you move on into the new year? Is it the relative irregularity with which you engage in your own besetting sins? You know, you used to watch porn once a week. You used to snap at your spouse once a week. Now it's once in three months. I mean, you deserve some accolades. Maybe this is not the time for the storms to come. You deserve some form of peace and all this. Maybe you're even more spiritual than this. Maybe even more spiritual than this. Maybe because, oh, I have a vibrant prayer life. Oh, in fact, maybe you are the type that has faith. Not faith in God, but faith in faith. Not faith in God, but faith in prayer. How do I know? You see, what your reaction in the midst of the storm is a revelation of what you put your faith in in the first place. So when the storm hits, what is the first thing you say? Man, what I plan? Aha, that's what your faith is in. Oh, man, I felt my uncle would come through for me. That is what your faith is in. I mean, but I've been acting right. That is what your faith is in, not in God. Or could it even be, man, but I pray, that is what your faith in, him. that's what your faith is in. Or maybe you say, but I had faith, that is what your faith is in, not in God. She was common to all these reactions, what's common to all these people is this. All of them think that the reason why the storms and, and the, and the floods should not drown them is because of things that they've done. Whereas that's not the way of the gospel. The gospel says the reason why we will not drown, it's not because of anything we've done or didn't do, Is because of what God has accomplished for us in Christ. So again, today I ask, where is your faith? Or better still, who is your faith in? Is it in yourself or is it in God? Secondly, the existence of our faith. See, some of us don't even have faith anymore. You know, maybe because growing up, we've been, maybe some of us, we've had certain teachings, right? That, okay, faith is like this step to step thing. So I am here, I have faith in God to get something for me. So begins to look as if the end of my faith is the things I get from God. So, you know, the gift is more important than the giver. Then you begin to react to that. You begin to say, oh no, the gift is not more important than my giver. I love my giver. And we react to this. Then what then begins to happen is we do not come to God in prayer to ask him for anything at all. In fact, when you do come, you are not coming because you are expecting anything. You are coming with the posture of God might not do it. Whereas the Bible says you should come in with the posture of God might actually do it. right? Like, and Maybe some of us in some extreme cases, we tend to be very spiritual about this whole thing. You know, we been to stuff like, prayer doesn't change the situation. Prayer changes me. And that is deep. I actually think it's very, very deep. But I don't think it's deep enough because you see, what the Bible teaches is that while prayer changes you, while prayer transforms you, it also transforms your situation. So let me explain. All right. So I walk up to my babe. Okay, no. Imagine I have a babe, right? Imagine I have a babe that I walk up to. Imagine, then also imagine I'm rich, all right? So I walk up to my babe and I say, Boo, why do you love me? And then she says, Well, you see, I don't want to suffer. I like you, but you know, I don't suffer. I really, I mean, you are rich and I'm not so rich and you know, many of us are going to react to that and say, Oh, that is not a love relationship. She doesn't love you. She loves your stuff and you will be correct. But let me also describe what is also not a love relationship. Imagine my babe says, Man, Tommy is awesome and he is right. Oh, man, Tommy just changes me. He wants to, I mean, being with him makes me want to be a better person. Definitely, right? But then she's saying all of that all the while while she's hungry, not eating well, broke, and she's not able to ask the one she's in a relationship with about the stuff she actually needs. So there's a form of relationship there, but it's not a love relationship. Do you see wanting in the stuff you're asking for more than the person you're asking from is unloving, but so is not asking at all. Church. God delights in answering his children when they pray. God is more willing to give than you will ever be capable of receiving. God cares about our jobs. God cares about our children. God cares about our families. God cares about our friends. God cares about even these mundane things that we don't seem to care about. Remember the Lord's Prayer. After the Bible, we get to the point, the Bible says that, um, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. What the next thing the Bible says? Give us this day. Our daily bread, God cares about your daily bread. It's not like those people you tell your problems and then they say, Oh no, he is willing and able to answer your prayer, he's willing and able to calm your storms. Cry out unto him today. Put your faith in Jesus. And maybe there's this obvious, and there's this obvious part in the text that I think many of us will easily forget. And if you were, if you were, if we we're gathering together, I would have encourage us. I would have said something like, "Tell your neighbor, Jesus calms storms." I mean, you can say that home. Jesus can tell your neighbor, Jesus calms storms. You see, many of us, right, we suffer from what theologically we call an overrealized eschatology. Let me explain. Don't worry, relax. An overrealized eschatology. This is when we take the things that God has stored up for us in the in the future, and we bring them into the now. Right. So, but why some of us suffer from an over-realized eschatology? Some of us suffer from an under-realized eschatology, which is when we take the things that God has stored up for us in the now and we push them into the future. I want you to understand: Jesus calms storms now. Jesus heals now. Jesus provides now. He we do all these things in the future, but He is already doing it. Now, the right reaction to an overrealized eschatology is not an underrealized eschatology. The right reaction to an overrealized and an underrealized eschatology is a rediscovery of the truth of the Word of God, a rediscovery of the gospel. Oh brother, oh sister, cry unto him today. Do you realize that when Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, seek you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you, he wasn't advising you, he was commanding you. Do you realize that true, that though God is sovereign, prayer is one of the means through which he exerts his sovereign rule upon the earth. Don't roll over and sleep anymore. Do not deny anymore. Don't fear and accept anymore. Pray to Him. Doesn't matter how small your faith is. If your Bible says your faith is as small as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move and be cast into the sea. So it is not about the size of your faith. It's about the location of your faith. It's not about the size of your faith. It's about the person in whom you have put your faith in in the first place. The popular hymn that says, "What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer." Then He says. Oh what peace we often forfeit, Oh what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. This leads to my third point: the Lord of the storms. you see in Luke chapter eight verse by the time we get to verse 25 they, they, they woke Jesus up, Jesus gets up, calms the storm, and the Bible said, in fear and amazement they ask who is this, but it's this not the first time this question is being asked. Prior to this, in still in the book of Luke, certain people brought their friends to Jesus, their friend to Jesus because he was lame for Jesus to heal him. Jesus looks at him and says, Your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees react to this and say, Who is this that thinks he has the power to forgive sins? Another time a sinful woman comes to meet Jesus, Jesus was reclining at a chair came to meet Jesus. She Bent down, begins to kiss his feet, weep, right, perfume it and clean it with their hair. Jesus looks at this woman again and says, and, and, and says, Your sins are forgiven. The people react to this, not the Pharisees this time, but their reaction is slightly different. They say, Who is this that has the power to forgive, sins? They, they are confused, they want to know who he is. And the third time is in the book of Luke, it's, it's still in Luke, Luke chapter 8. Right? He calms the storm, and the disciples ask. Who is this that the winds and the waves obey him? And maybe you are here. You are also having different reactions to the person of who Jesus is, the person of who God is. In your storm, you are probably beginning to feel like, Tommy, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know the pain that I felt. You don't know what I have gone through last year. You don't know what I've gone through last week, right? And you're reacting differently. You're saying, why is he even sleeping in the first place? If Jesus is in my boat, why is he sleeping? Why is he silent? Why hasn't he calmed my own storm? I can see he has calmed another person's storm, but he has not calmed mine. It simply seems like this God doesn't care. So you are beginning to say stuff like, who is this God? Is a God that doesn't care. Oh no, let the Bible answer your question. Who is this God? One, who is the God that cares? Go back to the text. Jesus says to them, let us go to the other side. Jesus actually got into the boat with them. They weren't alone. This is what God has done for us in Christ. Theologically, is this idea of the incarnation. God cares so much that he stepped into the boat of life with you and me. God cares so much that he has stepped into our pain, that he stepped into our suffering. Who is this God? He is the God who cares. Secondly, he is the God who understands. Maybe maybe you have been going through the storms of depression. Jesus understands what it means to be depressed as well. In the garden of Gethsemane, the Bible said he was, he was in anguish of spirit so much so they began to sweat sweats of blood and scientifically we've discovered that it's it's actually a condition where you can get to a place of anxiety and depression that your blood from your blood vessels begin to seep into your sweat glands and you literally sweat sweats of blood if you're going through the storms of depression jesus understands maybe it's the storm of betrayal jesus understands that as well you see those people that were chilling with the most eye gang they eventually turned back and stabbed him and many of us feel as if the betrayal of peter happened happened behind jesus no happened in his presence. The Bible said Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus looked at him. Maybe you've experienced this kind of, maybe you're experiencing this kind of storm as well. Someone you trusted him betrayed you. Maybe it's, it's the storm of besetting sin. Maybe the storm of sin are going over and over again. This is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Jesus can, Jesus does empathize with your weakness. He himself was tested. He himself was tried in every way. And yet he was without sin. One time I got to a fight with my dad. It was a really terrible fight. And I was talking to my mom and I was saying, he doesn't care. He doesn't even love me. He doesn't even show any affection. And my mom smiled. And she said, Tommy, let me tell you a story. When you were three, you had, okay, I okay. check what we call, in Yoruba, mm-hmm. we call it belu belu. But I had to go And in English, it's called tonsillitis. I think I, I, I'm guessing I pronounced it right. It's called tonsillitis. I had tonsillitis. Right. And so they told, locally, you know, they told, they told my parents that, oh, we'll have to cut it. It's very happening in the show. They have to literally cut the thing off, right? So they take me, they take me to the place where they're going to um cut off the tonsilit tonsillitis. Yeah, tonsillitis. Right. And they tell my dad, he said, you need to hold him down. Why? I was two or three, but I was really very energetic at the prospect of danger, right? Like any normal child should. And the, my dad grabbed me and I was crying and I was wailing just at the thought that they were going to cut him. My mom said, Told me your dad was crying. He cried so much. That you have to send him out. He couldn't hold you anymore. Do you know what it means to be able to, men- to get yourself mentally to a place where you are feeling somebody's pain and suffering so much so that you begin to cry on the person's behalf? In the incarnation, Jesus didn't mentally get into our boat. No, he physically got into our boat. If the Bible says you understand, it does. Maybe the storm they are going through actually left you with certain scars has left you with certain pain. Maybe I spent certain stones because of the sins of other people. I want you to listen to this beautiful poem by Edward Shilito. He says, the other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Where have you heard of a God that leaves his throne to join his people? If you're a fan of Greek mythology, I mean, you, you, you know the stories of Zeus who leave Olympus and come down and mingle with the commoners. But it's really for pleasure. we just impregnating all of them and leaving them alone. But not our God. Jesus came down to identify with us. You understand? So regardless of the storm you are going through, KB has a response for a KB is a gospel rapper. He says, I might not know what the answer is but I know what the answer isn't. It cannot be that he doesn't care or he doesn't love us. No, that isn't it. He left his comfort and came to join us in our pain. Brethren, he is in the boat with you. Do not confuse his sleeping for not caring. Do not confuse his silence that for, for not understanding because if he cared enough to leave his throne above for you and me, he definitely cares enough to do something about it. And that leads to the third answer to this question. Who is this God? He is the God who is able to calm our storms. He is the Lord of the storms. You see, while the storm, you might be going to write and might not be attached to any sin that you have committed in the past. Bible does say that all have sinned and are short of the glory of God. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 51 that in sin, my mother conceived me. Paul then goes further to say, The wages of sin is death you see even though we've not done anything wrong even though the the storm we're going through right now is not attached to any sin that we've committed bible does say that because of our sin we all deserve the storm of death but jesus cared enough and still joined us in that but what should have happened to us is that we should have been thrown overboard into the storm and let the storm swallow us but jesus on our behalf carries himself and hauls himself out of the boat into the storm of sin and death upon the cross not because of anything that he has done wrong but because of the sins that you and i have committed and guess what that storm ceased jesus died was buried for three days and he rose again if he cared enough and had enough power to conquer the storm of sin and death on your behalf what is the storm of depression if he cared enough and had enough power to conquer the storm of sin and death on your behalf what what is the storm of the fear of the future? What is the storm of joblessness? What is the storm of anxieties? What is the storm of pain? Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 32: He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Will he not also free with him? Give us all things. This is coming after verse 28, where the Bible says, All for we know. For we know that all things are working together for the good of them that love the Lord. Maybe not according to your timeline. Maybe not according to your plan. But definitely eventually, these storms will cease. Do not lose heart. He has promised that when you walk through the fire, they will not consume you. When you walk through the flood, they will not drown. He has not said you will not walk through the fire. But he has said that fire will not consume you. He has not said you will not you will not walk through the flood. But he has said that flood will not drown you. So who, once again, who he is this God? He is the God who cares, he is the God who understands, he is the God who is able to do exceedingly far above all we could ever ask or think according to his power that works in us. One day, all our storms will cease. day oh, they will. John prophesied in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Listen, if there are no seas in Nehru Sainui, there will be no storms as well. So next week, next month, as you move into the year, when the storms come raging again, do not look at them and panic. You can accept them, but look to Jesus. Preach the gospel to yourself. I have a sovereign God who cares and loves me. This storm will not win, and one day they will be no more. Preach the gospel to yourself, and maybe you are here. You are not saved. You've not accepted this Lord of the Storm, and maybe your reason is hey, there's just so much. If you don't know what I'm going to, there's so much pain and suffering in the world. Maybe God doesn't it even it exist. How can there be a solution if you are rejecting the one person that has the solution and has started to do something about our storms? Come to him today. Maybe you are here as I'm talking, helping me to say, Tell me, I know I don't have faith in this, in this Lord. I'm stumped. Tell me, I, don't, I have not put my faith in him. I'm going to pray with you. But even before that, reach out to a Christian friend. Maybe you can reach out to us here in City Church if you're not a member. Reach out to a Jesus to tell, him, tell them to tell you about Jesus. Or maybe you are here, you are panicking. You've gone through so many storms and you're still saying, I, I, I don't even I don't know what to do." see. Talk to somebody about it. They might not know the solution to your problem, but they most likely know somebody who has the solution to your problem. So maybe you are here, you are panicking, you are probably denying or settling. Don't go through these things alone. Maybe, 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 maybe the, the, preach the gospel yourself and allow other people to preach the gospel to you. Talk to someone about it. God has provided for us. God calms the storms. God heals. God provides. God strengthens. God encourages. God is doing that. He has done something about our storm. He's doing something about our storms. And ultimately, at the end of time, He will do something about our storms.
0: Thank you for listening to The Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.